Oh, come on into the church. This is Reverend Billy. Come right in here and sit down and I call out to you wherever you may be in your laundromat, in your home, in your rec room, out there in a, a bar, maybe you're driving in your pickup truck. Here we are. We're going to explore something together that we all know a lot about, I think. We all think we're experts at this, or maybe we don't. Maybe we know we're not experts. I'm talking about love. That's the theme of today's message, love. Love is something that we encounter from the moment we emerge into this world. We cry right on schedule. The doctor puts us back in our mother's arms, and we never leave, do we? No. We're in our mother's arms for the rest of our lives in some sense. We never forget. Our mother loves us in a way that is so strong it goes with us all through our lives. And all the steps of love. We feel our mother in us. We have an instinct for what love may be because of that unconditional love that we received. First of all, we have that best friend when we're a child, when we're six, eight, ten years old. Remember that? That best friend? Well, that's love. And then we have that first crush. We become a teenager, and then we, we go on into romances. Oh, yeah. God help me. And then the romances, they develop into couples. We get more serious, I think. Yeah. And then what do you know? There's a proposal. And I'm a marriage officiant. I know all about this. We have a point in time when we stand there in front of our community, in front of our loved ones, and there's our mother <laughs> right there in the front row. And we know that we are making a commitment with the witness of our mother and our father and our brothers and sisters, if we have them, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, this person, this one person, we're going to be with this one person, and we're going to build love and go into the adventure of life with this person we're committed to. And, and then we have a family that we begin and we make choices, and it's always love. There's always love. The feeling of love is present in those choices. What neighborhood, what house, what community, what, where do you live, and what kind of work do you pursue together? How do you organize your life? That love just keeps growing and growing and growing, and then it stops. The love stops. What do you have instead of love? You have fear. You don't go any farther with that love. You bring it back in. You constrict. You're stuck. You turn. You organize love where you were. You don't go forward anymore. You go back. You're afraid. We have to confront together today. Why do we do this? How can we grow out of it? Is there an alternative? We have to work together, teach each other, hear each other. Somehow I hear you. We've got a job to do, but first of all, let's start with that thing that's going to loosen up a little bit. Gratitude. We are grateful. We're going to start the process of this loving examination with the thing that will aid and abet us the most, and that is music. Here we go, the Stop Shopping Choir. Greet me as a stranger, I have got this 
All right, we are stopping our love. And why? Do we want to do that? Doesn't sound right. Here's what I see. Our love is concentrated on a certain number of human beings, traditional, our family, our intimates. It's like each of us is creating a small town of relationships. We have people that we love on these streets, in these houses. But when we get to the edge of that town and the natural world starts, our love stops. There's a drop off of our love when we get to nature. Why? We are afraid of nature because we are afraid of death. In the old days, there was a wall around an edge of town to keep out the wolves and the bears and the devils and all the things people had in their imagination. And we still have that fear. But now we can't keep the wolves and bears out of town, can we? Walls don't work when it comes to wildfires, superstorms, pandemics. Just to mention the living hell that has come over our walls in the recent years. Mother Earth is acting like she's taking over, and she is. These natural disasters add up to a worldwide extinction of many species. You and me are included. This is getting worse and worse for us. All this tragedy comes from stopping our love. There's a reason that we call the planet Mother Earth. We made the decision to live our lives with mother love from when we were children, but we decided to stop our mother's love at that wall at the edge of town. And now we throw garbage over that wall. We act like there's nothing out there. The disconnection of our mother love and the mother earth love can't do it. We must start up our love again. What we're trying to do is violent. We don't realize that, I don't think. It is. And it's violent to us. All right. Are you going to start up that love with me? Here we go. love hallelujah. Somebody give me a love hallelujah. It starts. Let's just start by singing it. love hallelujah. Disconnecting our mother love from the mother earth's love is causing the tragic storms and diseases and fires. We can no longer do this. Reconnecting the love from us and the love from the unknown world outside of town, that's going to be hard work. Hard work. And we have to do this work fast. We can't continue to live with the habits we have. Our everyday life. Even the little normal things. All of that has to be re-examined carefully. And that garbage we throw over the wall, no, that's out of the question. In modern living, of course, that's car exhaust, trucks, airplanes, that's pesticides, chemicals from industrial agriculture, that's plastics. I think, <laughs> I think you all know this litany, this list of poisons, and I'm, I'm going to try to stop boring you now. You know what I'm talking about, and you, you know it's true for our children, the Mother Earth love can continue into the future. It's got to. For our children and our children's children, the Mother Earth must 
that Mother Earth love must come into us, be a part of us. Don't disconnect from her. Now, this is a radical change for us, but it's time to be a radical American again. We've risen to so many crises in the past. We can do it again, and we have to. Mother's love, very powerful, but we can have both our personal mother and the Mother Earth in us, too, at the same time. We can do this. I'm coming to a moment of realization. This is the reason for this project, this preaching, this radio show. That pretty much wraps it up. Connecting the two mothers, they're the same mother. And we can survive through this difficult period by helping each other, sharing, teaching, loving by example. We'll reconnect the mothers. Lovelujah. Hello. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. An orca whale in the Puget Sound off the coast of Washington State that once spent 17 long days carrying her dead calf on her back, a dramatic saga of apparent mourning, has become a mother once again. The orca, identified by researchers as J35 and also known as Taliquah, became a symbol in 2018 of the plight of the southern resident whales, which were 88 in number when they were listed as endangered in 2005 and have dwindled further since. The birth of the new orca, which was seen for the first time by researchers on Saturday, brings the population to 73. J35, Taliquah, her journey of apparent grief lasted 17 days and covered about 1,000 miles. Several studies have found that smoking can more than double a person's risk of severe COVID-19 symptoms. The data on the relationship between vaping and COVID-19 are only beginning to emerge. A team of researchers recently reported that young adults who vape are five times more likely to receive a coronavirus diagnosis. About 34 million adults smoke cigarettes in the United States, and more than 5 million middle and high school students recently reported using vapes. A new giant crater has been found on the Russian Arctic tundra. The more than 20-meter-wide hole is the 17th of its kind discovered in the far northern Yamal region since 2014. According to researchers, the tundra craters are created as large volumes of gas accumulate under the tundra permafrost and then ultimately explode. There are numerous small, swollen hilltops just waiting to burst in the surrounding area. Scientists discovered that the explosions happen when pressure in the ground reaches 12 atmospheres. The powerful explosions can throw soil several hundred meters from the epicenter. Previous holes of the kind have been found in the vicinity of local oil and gas installations. Researchers in Canada have detected microfibers from blue jeans in aquatic environments ranging from the shallow suburban lakes near Toronto, across the Great Lakes, and all the way up to the Arctic archipelago. The researchers set out to study the distribution of denim and other human-processed cotton microfibers across Canada's water systems, Denim microfibers were found at depths greater than 1,500 meters, indicating that the particles may be able to travel long distances and accumulate in remote regions. 
Denim microfibers were also detected in effluent from wastewater treatment plants that discharge into Lake Ontario, suggesting their route may be traced back to the washing machine. Scientists conducted a series of tests that found that a pair of used jeans can shed roughly 56,000 microfibers per wash. Forest fires in the Pantanal, a wetlands in southwest Brazil, raged across an estimated 7,861 square miles between January and August. Based on evidence from a new satellite tracking system, that's an area slightly larger than the state of New Jersey. A record amount of the world's largest tropical wetland has been lost to the fire sweeping Brazil this year devastating a delicate ecosystem that is one of the most biologically diverse habitats on the planet. Children may be especially vulnerable to peer pressure from robots. Adults appear able to resist the machine's influence. And ordinary glass panels can act as solar panels when a layer of nanoparticles is sandwiched between two panes. This could help us take advantage of solar energy in cities where space for solar panels may be limited. If we've done our job, no one will even know that they're there, says Hunter McDaniel. He and his colleagues have developed transparent solar panels that are indistinguishable from regular glass. And here we are today with our interview, special guest, Mr. Steve McMaster. Good morning, Bill. Now, Steve, our understanding, you lead a community of people who respond to what we call natural disasters. You come to the aid of utilities that are in need of sustaining, repairing. If you could give us a sum up of what your company does. Yeah, well, for about two decades now, unfortunately, long time, uh, we've been involved with the logistical support of electric, gas, water, utility companies when they're faced with a major event, usually a natural event such as a fire or hurricane, things of that nature. And during those extreme events, most of these companies supplement their full-time staff with assistance from out of state and we help with that assistance and we help with the recovery operations well now this is fascinating because we always have these seems like every few weeks nowadays we have another disaster of some kind a wildfire hurricane tornadoes that are two miles wide the rest of it the last few years can you just take us through the response to a storm, say, an East Coast hurricane? Yeah, well, the response starts before the storm. That's the interesting part. So you can see a hurricane coming. There's a lineup in the Atlantic Ocean, for example, where we are in the United States on the East Coast right now. Then most of our events come from the Atlantic Ocean. And these are very major events um, hundreds of miles wide and while they follow a certain path it's often difficult to predict exactly where they'll hit land so you'll have a hurricane three or four days out you can see it coming is it going to hit florida though is it going to hit texas somewhere in between is it going to roll up the east coast 
Very difficult to tell. What happens in these events is before they arrive, an entire army of people try and get in position ready, which often means a spread of over a thousand miles. You can have crews ready to respond to this all the way from the Texas Gulf Coast all the way to the Florida Panhandle. I don't think Americans are aware of this. Exactly. And so it's a major operation, very costly. Um, the men and women who perform this task are very expert, been doing it for their whole lives. Um, and then they, have, they get in position. The storm does arrive. And then we have to follow it. Do a lot of these people know each other? Is it like a community? It's a community of people who live on the road, you know. I mean, I often bump into people from three storms ago and, you know. Do they have a name for themselves? Like, were the disaster people? They, I mean, they, they all have jobs, you know. So, like, a, a, the most common job is, a, is somebody called a lineman. Who, these are the people who actually, you know, they actually put the pole back up, restore the electricity or whatever, you know. So, oh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole... There's a whole community. So they're in the rest areas? They're following each other down the freeway? Yeah, absolutely. They have dinner together sometimes around a table? Yeah, and these, these are people who, I mean, you, you, could, you could be in a team of Canadian utility workers wow. working with Texan community workers. There's a, a large network of, of people, and they're all specialists at what they do. So in a typical hurricane, I don't know if there is such a thing as a typical hurricane. They're all different. They have different names. They have different personalities. Yeah. It's always a, it's always a big thing for us when uh, tropical storms just have numbers and the hurricanes have names. So when our last one hit a few weeks ago here, um, it went from tropical storm 13 to suddenly getting a name because now it's bigger. <laughs> That's always an event. So a, a typical hurricane takes a month to repair? Oh, no. Much quicker. Um, so... There's different types of repair. When, when, you, when you're repairing the destruction after an event like this, you're always trying to restore the maximum number of people as fast as possible. So that means if you end up with a million people without electricity, um, there are certain targeted repairs, and that's one of the things our company does. There are certain ways of making those repairs so that maybe 900,000 of those people are restored within a day, two days, and that last 100,000 may take longer. So you developed this software that makes it possible to target most efficiently the yeah, largest exactly. number of people. Right, right. I've worked on just in my lifetime, just in the in the last twenty years of a professional lifetime. Um, I've worked on major storms that have each broken a record. But the problem is, it's not a simple pattern. It's not like we break a record every week. You know, we'll have a year, sometimes two years, sometimes three years when nothing much happens. And people get complacent and they think, oh, it's a one-off. And then there's another record. But then there's a couple of years, well, you know, nothing really happened. And the problem with our wonderful species is we're very good at dealing with emergencies. But if there's any respite, we don't think it's an emergency anymore. We forget really quick. You know, we really forget, well, Katrina, how many years ago was that now? No, it didn't happen again, did it? I think we're okay. Steve, you know, thank you for repairing and all the people you work with. Repairing our power, our water, our electricity. But we got to get that long view. And, and like you say, uh, working at that long view, we're not psychologically necessarily built for that long view, are we? 
That's a crisis. I mean, that that is the heart of the crisis. We're, we're an animal just like any other animal on this planet. And um, if a tiger is chasing us, we can deal with that. It's coming at you. You pick up a stick, do what you need to do to defend yourself. Um, it's this long, slow crisis that we're just mentally incapable of doing. So from an emotional point of view, we can't handle this. We have to handle it um, with a collective response coming from our brains as opposed to our emotions. And we have to understand that this will affect our children. It may not affect us. Is it going to affect, you know, the middle classes of the world? Not, not really. It's not going to affect us. It'll definitely affect our children, definitely affect our grandchildren. It's trying to understand that we need to think in terms of the grandchildren. We, it's not going to affect us. We know that. And it's no use pretending it is because it isn't really. It's going to affect the poorest people on the planet. It's not going to affect the industrialized nations. They can buy their way out of this. You asked, can we afford to keep repairing things? Yes, we can keep affording to repair things. But we shouldn't be. And it's the Reverend again. Hello. Now, you have been listening to me. How do you feel about my idea that you and me loving Mother Earth is how to stop the superstorms and the wildfires? Now, does that strike you as common sense? I'm really interested to know. Or does that remain kind of mysterious, what I'm saying? I do know one thing. We have to do this together. Really, everybody, a lot of us, have to join in, or we're not going to make it through this extinction. And the strongest love of the earth that we have is the creative love by our mothers. I'm pretty sure of that. Everyone's got to be full of mother love. And that means we have to have the anger that a mother can have. You know what I'm talking about. And the tenderness, the tenacity, the energy the too much love, the suffocating love, and the over-the-top love, and the mother love that will not stop till survival of her child is absolutely, no question, positively proven. Like that killer whale, mother. Yes. You know, the politicians might do something about poisoning the atmosphere if millions of us had the fierce mother love in us. I like to think about that. <laughs> it's got to happen. I think it will. But then all of a sudden, I have to ask myself in a practical way, what is the motivating question? What will get people to defend the earth? Is it their mothers? Or is it something along the lines of, we're going to die very soon. Better do something. The two statements are not in conflict. They're the same thing. Number one, love hard. Number two, no justice, no peace. They go together. The big social movements that have had fierce love and no justice, no peace, fierce love, and looky here, we've got to change. We have to stop the murderers. Those movements over time, over the last centuries, the beginning of this country, and I'm thinking of the abolishment of, of slavery. I'm thinking of the civil rights movement. I'm thinking of the way through time that we have risen up and surprised some Americans by having the courage to demand the change take place. And then what happens is finally enough of us 
bring that change. And those movements that brought that change, they have within them the earth movement. They all have the earth movement in them. Let me explain that. Look, when we're really down to the extinction, when it's really happening that we're breathing our last breath, so to speak, with each other, well, then there's only one issue, and that's the issue of life itself. We want to live. We don't want to die. Do you see how the independence of the United States, do you see how the abolition of slavery, do you see, do you see how everything we've accomplished is inside of that? It has to be. Every movement is finally a demand for life. And our mother wants us to live. She tells us that every day. She sings to us a lullaby. She sings us to sleep. She wakes us up. She gets us up, gets us dressed for school. She has the highest hopes for us, for our life. I'm talking about personal mothers. I'm talking about the Mother Earth, both. I'm talking about both. The impulse to live is with us every minute. Think about it. It's here. Our body wants to live. Our soul wants to live. And we are not a position paper. We're not a faraway history, a research. We're not a legal remedy. We are life. I'm life here, talking to you right now. You're life, hearing me. Talk back to me. <laughs> I want to hear you too. We live with the mother love. And we can use that to survive if we want to. We've got it right here. So let's live. Hmm? All right? What do you say? Mother... What do you think? Good idea? Absolutely. Let's learn how to live. It seems like we're forgetting it. We're forgetting how to live for a moment when we let these big institutions march us towards this mass death. They just want to make money and we want to live. They want money. We want life. They want money. We want life. They want money. We want life. Who wins that fight? Life wins that fight. Life, hallelujah. Love, hallelujah. Earth, hallelujah. I want to thank today, thank all the mothers. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us, giving us life. We're going to live up to the life that you gave us by surviving. And so we come to the end of our Reverend Millie Radio today. Thank you for being with us. The Stop Shopping Choir, their wonderful music. Laura Newman singing this solo on that second song, Fabulous Bad Weather. Um, I believe that Katrina Lewis uh, was the composer. And Savitri D was the composer of the Gratitude Song. And Savitri also read the news from the natural world. I want to thank that whale mother wish her luck with her new new baby thank you steve mcmaster for submitting to my my questions i want to thank our producer who edits all this together and teaches me how to do this mr jason candler thank you to all of you we'll be back again next week with another theme another musing another celebration another get together all right 
All right. Earth everybody. Reverend Billy signing off. See you next week.